sigh. Why, Mike, that was a real conspicuous sigh you just sighed. Is everything okay? No, it is not, my friend and co-host Alex. I have all these books I want to read, but I don't have time to look at books. Wow, what a specific problem, but one I'm sure many people could relate to. I've got things to do and places to see, but I also need to deep dive into the world of literature. I may have a solution to your problem, Mike. Let me inform you about Audible. Audible? Audible. Audible? Audible? Audible. What's Audible? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, so you can read with your ear holes and leave your eye holes to do other things. My ear holes could go for a hearty serving of sound. Tell me more. Ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development, every month, Audible members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible original titles from a monthly selection, and access to popular daily news digests as well as guided meditation programs. Wow, that's so many things. They have an enormous selection to pick from. With Audible, you can check out all the audiobooks we've talked about in our podcasting history. You mean I could go listen to Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler and Life After Death by Damien Eccles? Yes, Life After Death is even narrated by the author, Damien Eccles, as you just said. Wow, it sounds like I and all of our listeners should go check out Audible and listen to those two books, and then listen to our discussion of those books back in episode 87. You're right, Mike. Alex, this all sounds pretty wonderful, but I don't know if I can just commit to another paid service just like that. <laughs> I've been burned before. You and me both, friend. That's why we can give you and all of our listeners a 30-day free trial. Whoa! We can give them that? Hold on, I'm going to try that again. Whoa! We can give them that? Certainly. Just go to audibletrial.com slash postfun for a 30-day free trial. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash P-O-S-T-F-U-N. Postfun? That's the name of our podcast network. What? Wait, why is this line in the script? I wanted to make the connection because we don't talk about post-fun enough. Oh, and with this little segment, then it will become clear that post-fun is our podcast network. Indeed. Indeed. That link, audibletrial.com slash postfun, will also be in the description of this episode. And lastly, we wanted to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode of The Weekly Undertaking. Hold on, Alex. You're saying that they sponsored us and we aren't just doing this out of the kindness of our hearts? That is correct, Mike. Wait, did I forget to tell you that? Yeah, it sure is a good thing that I came to you with my lack of time to read problem. <laughs> it sure is, Mike. Otherwise, this whole interaction would have seemed way less natural. Totally, Brocephalus. Pause for laugh. Thanks again, Audible. Thanks. So, Mike, to start off this glorious 90th episode of The Weekly Undertaking. Wow, we've recorded for 90 hours. That is 90 hours way too long. Yeah, anyway, um, I thought we'd talk about Phil Lewis real quick. Oh, of course. Yeah, because it's, 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 <laughs> it's been a while. That's like the point of this podcast, kind yeah, of. <laughs> exactly. So, for those of you who may be a little bit new to the whole Weekly Undertaking vibe... Uh, probably like we stopped around 20 episodes ago, but we kind of have a slightly unhealthy obsession with uh, Phil Lewis, the actor who portrayed Mr. Mosby in The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. 
Listen, what Alex is trying to say is this is actually a Phil Lewis-style uh, religious order, not a cult. We've had accusations <laughs> of that. We only sacrifice to him on Tuesdays. We, we need to sacrifice twice a week in order to technically qualify. Yeah, we beat the lawsuits and we do it on the DL. Anyway... Uh, I check. But if you want, if you want, you can you can start by uh, paying money into it, and you'll be an entry level lobby manager by the end of the night. We can promise you that. Yes, and you can rank up all the way to hooligan if you pay enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. At that point, <laughs> at that point, you can book people in with your mind. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, I bring him up because uh, I, I checked his uh, what is it? His Twitter before we started mm. recording today and i saw that he uh, made a post in early january he doesn't alex. post a lot <laughs> alex is it time to talk phil lewis i think it's time to talk phil lewis mike let's play let's let's dust off that old song and and give that yes. a play talking talking so that that was awesome. ta- yeah talking phil lewis we did it talking phil lewis all right what what where do you tweet anyway it's a you'll love this it's a photo of I would imagine his gear shift, and uh, I, I I'm just gonna let you guess what he said. Is it is 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 it about the Prindle? It's about the Prindle. Yep. Yes, about the Prindle. <laughs> so anyway, in this post, uh, his exact words are: "You call this a Prindle? This is not a Prindle." And it's a picture of his dashboard with the P R N and D and L, and. Is it, is it like a messed up uh, like Prindle or is it just like it's not an actual gear shift? There are buttons on on the on his dash, which is interesting. Oh yeah, I've seen these new cars with like they've decided to remove the gear shift entirely. I personally hate that, but that's that's I guess to each his own. Yeah, and no, I I, with me, though. I feel that um because like you could actually accidentally press one of the buttons and then oops you're going in reverse down the highway. Anyway, <laughs> this uh, exactly. this uh, this Prindle reference is is a reference to probably the biggest meme Phil Lewis has ever been a part of, which is the Prindle, which was a part of I the. Think we can, yeah, I mean, most people are probably aware of it at this point, but I'm, yeah, I'm just explaining. Okay. There was an episode of Sweet Life of Zach and Cody where he was teaching London Tipton to drive and she referred to the gear shift as the Prindle because of the letters labeled next to the gear shift. And then they had a exactly. huge fight about it and it was hilarious. It was incredible. And now oh, man, I miss that man. Is that the last time he tweeted in January? He also tweeted, this is more boring, but also probably more relevant. Um, he tweeted like a... He's doing something to uh, help with uh, raise money for COVID-19 relief. That man is going to single-handedly destroy the coronavirus, (laughs) and I am here to watch it. Yeah, um, you can check out his Twitter if you want to read more about that, although uh, the the thing is done now because it was from April 16th to 18th. Oh, well. It's at the Phil Lewis. At the Phil Lewis. Yes. Ah, oh, man. Thank yes. you, Alex. I am very glad You're that I got to remember that Phil Lewis was on this earth because I definitely needed that news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, the end game of this podcast is to get Phil Lewis on as a guest. We're, we're working. Oh, our, yeah. And we're, then we're done. We're working our way up slowly. We start with our friends and associates, and then we'll slowly build up until we get to yeah. um, Phil Lewis. 
It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, except every it's six degrees of Phil Lewis, probably less because he's that beloved. But yeah, exactly. Anyway, if you haven't checked out by now and you're still around for minute five, welcome back to the weekly undertaking. My name is Alex. My name is Mike, and uh, this is the podcast where we do different things every week. And talk about them live on the air. Mike's still uh, calling in from his home because of uh, this situation that we all find ourselves in. Yeah, because Phil Lewis hasn't ended it just yet. Yeah, so, he's yeah. working on it. But, but we're, we're, doing, we're doing our remote setting as best as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Phil Lewis today, we, uh, Phil Lewis, as I think Alex would agree, is an underrated actor. Would you agree with that, Alex? Um, I think he's the underrated actor, actually. Exactly. But today our focus is not on underrated actors. It is about things that I'm trying to smoothly transition this. We're looking we to this week. We looked at Oscar winning movies, <laughs> that things really, that are not underrated. That was really smooth, Mike. And you may even argue. I Listen, I tried. I tried hard. <laughs> Yes, you may un, you may, it's definitely not underrated. You may even argue in some aspects uh, overrated, um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know you never know. Yeah, well we'll dis- we'll we'll discuss our movies. So this week we we looked at Oscar movies. Normally we would do this challenge around the time when it would be relevant, like around Oscar uh, season. Os- Oscar season, yeah. And, but especially now because there probably won't be an Oscars twenty twenty because what movie has come to, come out recently? They're releasing um, some. Uh, straight to demand. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. I, I don't think. Like, sure, Roma was nominated for Best Picture in 2019 um, or 2018, and uh, what was the Marriage Story was nominated in in 2019. I, I know eventually Netflix or one of the streaming services will come up with a Best Picture. I just can't see it happening. I think the Academy, the, which is just code for the Illuminati. Um, uh-huh. In my opinion, anyway, uh, it, I don't. I think they're too biased against streaming services to ever actually recognize one of those as the best picture. Well, they're also really biased against foreign films, and Parasite just won. I know that's not an argument, but it is a sign that they're probably they're hopefully expanding their horizons, and that there is no one way to tell a good story. Yeah, except for, here's the difference. Here's the difference. If you um, when you recognize a Korean film as the best picture of the year, you risk acknowledging that Korea, South Korea makes good movies. If you, uh, which is not, which sure, that's groundbreaking. I'm not meaning to belittle the accomplishment of Parasite, which was an excellent film. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really actually disrupt the movie industry at all. But if like Netflix wins best picture, that's going to be a huge argument against movie theaters, which are already dying out even before coronavirus was a thing. I mean, sure, absolutely. But I don't think there's really a lot of things that can, like, no, I can't think of a valid argument. So I, I, I acknowledge your point as valid, although I do not completely agree with it. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think that uh, Netflix or... No, it's probably going to be Netflix will eventually uh, take home an Oscar for Best Picture. Well, I mean, I I think it's inevitable eventually, like the way that the the movement is beginning Mm -hmm. and was uh, accelerated now that we're all home 24-7. I think it is inevitable. Uh, Like Disney announced that they're releasing Artemis Fowl straight to Disney Plus, which is a huge deal. That was Mm. like... 
Uh, did you read any of the Artemis Fowl books as a as a kid? No, I don't even know what this is. Ah, but um, Artemis Fowl, uh, without giving too much away, um, I read a few of the books. I wasn't die hard, but it's like the last beloved young adult novel series that has not been made into a movie. Like it started with Harry Potter, then it was The Hunger Games, then it was Divergent, and Artemis Fowl was before Divergent or Hunger Games. But it's still the last big one that has not been a movie. So okay. this had this has potential to be a very big film series that they're just releasing straight to Disney Plus. Interesting. That should yeah. definitely be uh, interesting. Oh, I, I had I, f- I figured out a, a a point to make about our previous uh, discussion about Netflix at the Oscars, but it. Took, uh, I am I am excited. Yes. It took me a minute, but uh, I, I have thought about it. Considering that releasing a movie on Netflix is significantly less risky. They're more likely to green light more risky projects, which could turn into fantastic movies that otherwise would have never gotten made. Would you imagine that marriage story would have ever even come out if Netflix didn't green light it? I think you're right to a degree, but um, the count the would and you're right. A couple of golden nuggets will come out through uh, through Netflix and stuff. But in reality, what what happens is, or in my experience anyway, is the Netflix original movies are are pretty much the modern day equivalent of direct to DVD shows. Well, like, well uh, yeah. Nonetheless, though, it it still gives um, a new platform for artists who don't maybe have as big connections to get a chance to tell their stories and. A lot of them have good reasons why they don't have a, like any good connections to tell stories because a lot of them are not good. But uh, like you like you'd say, a, a few will slip through the cracks and be able to tell a story that they wouldn't have been able to uh, without uh, the chance that Netflix would have given them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think objectively you're right, and a lot of things will come into modern day consciousness with with uh, regardless of whether or not they're deserving of it. I think back to. Um, to Bird Box. Yep. Uh, remember Bird Box was a huge thing. Did you ever watch that movie? No, I've still never seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it's okay. It's an okay horror movie, but it's it's nowhere near as good as like A Quiet Place, which came out the same year, um, but it was, but is still like, uh, I don't know, Bird Box it became such a cultural phenomenon, both A, because it was on Netflix and everybody already had access to it, and B, because I personally believe that uh, Netflix purposefully memes its own series just to get people to watch. I mean, it's a good marketing ploy, even if it is a little scummy, but it's true that... Objectively, yeah. It's easier to like for a Netflix movie to take off like that because it's so much easier to watch a Netflix movie. Yeah. You're right. You don't need to go all the way out to the movie theaters and stuff. Yeah, but um, uh, I digress. I don't want movie theaters to die because movie theaters are so much fun. And I have a lot of good memories going with you and uh, other people to see movies and they're enjoyable. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually actively wants movie theaters to die. It's all, But um, I think I think what will end up happening is P- they, they'll become like record shops. Uh, eventually, not like in the near future, I think down the line, but I think that eventually it'll be like, um, you know, I can watch this movie, I can get dressed and go in my car and drive and find parking and sit in a movie theater, or I can 
just stay in my underwear and watch the same movie for 12 bucks at home. I think people are, I think movie uh, companies will eventually realize that there's a massive market there. No, absolutely. Like even if they just released it straight to iTunes or whatever, and they still made the same money. No, totally. I mean, like, look, like we, uh, like I was with my family a few weeks ago and we like sat down and watched onward on demand. Cause you know, the pandemic, um, a few days before mm-hmm. it came out on Disney Plus, by the way, and that sucked. But it was 20 bucks <laughs> to rent this new movie, which seems outrageous until you remember that movie tickets are like $15 a person. So it would have cost really us... not that much more than what you would normally spend. Yeah, yeah it, costs, it would cost four people to see the movie for 60 bucks. So it's like $40 left and we don't have to go anywhere. It's convenient. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah, you can watch it as many times with as many people as you want. It is a. Uh, it is no argument that it is certainly more convenient and financially more reasonable. If you and uh, also, I will say it. that onward was freaking beautiful. I it was, loved it so much. It was pretty good. Yeah, I really I, liked it. I was I I was in tears at the end, and I well <laughs> not literally, but I don't I don't feel things at movies almost ever, and that made me that made me feel a lot of emotions. Yeah. So I I got it. I loved it. I loved the movie so much. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty emotional just in general, but uh, yeah. with movies, yeah, I mean, I'm probably in the middle of the road where like if I vibe with a movie, I will let my heart out, but then, you know, I'll get stubborn if I don't connect to a movie and I'll kind of steal my myself away from it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, I'd love to talk more about Onward, but it wasn't um, nominated for an Oscar yet. Right, so, because Oscars, it would be it would be up for an Oscar in 2020, which they will never have. You, we will see. You know, don't don't bite your tongue too too quick. You know, this is being recorded, and you could be you're, wrong. You're, you're right. Fine, I will say if they have, but if they have an Oscars in two thousand for 2020, it will consist of five movies that that were in theaters for two weeks straight, and that's it. I will play um, this if uh, if it's just a regular Oscars, and you are hilariously wrong. And it will be hilarious. I, I, yes, I am. This is my prediction and I will stick to it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you want to talk about movies, Oscar movies? Yeah. Yeah. Oscar movies. Um, uh, I will say first, first and foremost, I hate, even though I do really love movies, I hate the Oscars. I hate them a lot. Um, I, I don't know about you. This is just my opinion. Yep. I think that any kind of competition when it comes to uh, art kind of reduces the thing. Um, even though best pictures generally are very good movies, I think it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It does. It just, it, it removes so much of, uh, of what it is because art innately is not a competition. No, art is absolutely subjective, but I also see the plus to the Oscars. I mean, look, I would have never... Well, I would have because you invited me, but I don't know if you would have ever wanted to go see Parasite if it wasn't up for the Oscar. Um, I probably would have never even heard of it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Oscars is a great advertisement. But yeah, it, it's it's also I, I also question what the point of the Oscars is. It's there's um, no point. Um, and actually, its origin is super shady. <laughs> I don't know the origin. Wait, hold on, Alex. You mean to tell me that Hollywood has some shady history? Thanks for sticking with me on that one, Mike. Yes. You're what? I'm I'm all ears. Oh, I don't Um, know. I don't know. I just, you know, 
I, I read about it a few months ago and now I've forgotten it. <laughs> That's generally how facts work sometimes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Right, but um, but continue. Yeah, it's uh, you don't think that there's a point to it? No, I mean, there's a point, obviously. It's to make a lot of money and, uh, you know, um, uh, advertise for these movies. But it also does some good in that it gives recognitions to people who normally would not be seen for the craft that they are so passionate about. Well, sure, Parasite is an example of that. But in general, don't you think that like the the movies that that are that are nominated just like celebrate the 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 actors that we nor and directors that we uh, that we normally see? It's it's kind of a similar. Uh, tale with some exceptions but not many no absolutely i was referring more to the lighting crew and the sound mixing and stuff like that yeah but nobody but also nobody pays attention to those which is sucky but uh yeah um but But that's my point but the big sexy categories are best actor best director and best picture um i don't that that's pretty much what people pay attention to um so I, I don't know, like what, when I think of the Oscars, I also think of um, people all uh, or yeah, I will say a lot of people that are into movies and into the Oscars and stuff get very pretentious when Oscar season comes around. I remember a trending tweet that was like, maybe Disney will learn their lesson now that Endgame was only nominated for best special effects, which it didn't even win. And I saw the tweet and I was just like, Disney fucking won 30 times over. Do you see how yeah. much money that movie made? <laughs> they may have not uh, gotten the Oscar, but they certainly got all of the money. Yes. Uh, so let's get into this. Well, yeah. I, and I also think of like the the movie that wins the Oscar is also not necessarily the movie that is even the most culturally relevant or the one that speaks to the people of the time the most. No, of course not. Um, Again, this it, is... It yeah, it happens a lot. Like Forrest Gump won uh, Best Picture. Um, it. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of other ones, but I have for the, the whole most list, part, yeah. Say it again. I have the whole list pulled up. Oh, great. Um, there are a lot of movies that are still referenced today. Like Titanic is another example Titanic, of one that uh, people still reference and definitely shaped cinema, shaped American culture, and how we, uh, and and art expression and everything so much. Yeah, that was a good um, choice. Yeah. But one that I watched and now I'm going to get into specific movies. Um to the year the year of 2008. So it came up for uh, Oscars in 2009. 2008 was a great year for movies. Two movies in, come to mind for me. What do you have any memories of movies that came out in 2008 that jumped um, out in your mind? Slumdog Millionaire was that 2008? You're just looking at the Oscars list. Here. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, Slumdog Millionaire actually, if my memory serves me right, came out in 2007, but it was like during the 2008 Oscars season. Uh. Um, but no, the two movies that come up in my mind that shaped culture forever that came out in 2008 are um, The Dark Knight. Yep. And Iron Man. Yes. Iron Man, do- if Iron Man flops, if Iron Man doesn't happen, the MCU doesn't happen. Superhero movies don't happen. But they weren't nominated because they're superhero movies. Who gives a shit? But also, but like... One in 2009. Do you... Can you... Do you see... What? Mike, you just... 
broke oh, up. Oh, I said, uh, what movie won in 2009? Um, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire, right? Or No Country for Old no, Men. No, that one in 2008. The Hurt Locker? The Hurt Locker. Have you ever heard of The Hurt Locker? I have because I see it on this list. <laughs> I watched it today. Uh, and so the, I guess that will be the first one that I talk about. Cool. But let me just but say it, really quickly. I mean, oh, I, sure. Sorry. I, I get The Dark Knight not like uh, the the upset about the dark knight not winning because that was a genuinely like good like drama film taking place in a superhero movie with fantastic performances um mm -hmm. and i could totally see that movie winning an oscar but like it's very easy to say that iron man deserved an oscar in retrospect because of what it started but back then it was one movie and it was good, but I don't, I still am not sure aside from uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, if it was uh, worthy of, ugh, I sound so pretentious uh, if it deserved the Oscar. <laughs> uh, let me, let me, let me clarify for a second. I'm not saying that um, Iron Man and Dark Knight necessarily even deserved Oscars. They were more uh, culturally relevant. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger, of course, won the Oscar for Best Actor Supporting in 2009. Actor. So that, that's recognition enough. Um, but that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying more there is the movies that resonate with people are not necessarily the ones that are recognized by the Academy. No, I, that is. I, I get what you mean. And it's definitely like a, a a cause for like discussion where you where you start to talk about like cultural relevance of a film because mm -hmm. like i mean like a lot of times like that obviously probably doesn't come up when uh the academy is picking out uh their winner they probably don't think about the relevance of uh, those films and which ones will stay in the human consciousness for or the public consciousness for like the next what is it now 12 years yeah, I mean, people are still writing essays about The Dark Knight because, number one, it was a great movie. And number two, like, it, it also, if you look at it, um, the way that Nolan directed it, um, it, intentionally or not, I'm not sure if it was intentional, but it has a lot of 9-11 um, imagery. It has mm -hmm. a lot of uh, reflections about, like, chaos and how, it, in a way, it can be read as a meditation on what 9-11 did to American society as a whole. Um, so it... it it, uh, I'm not so, but nobody is talking about the Hurt Locker. Maybe they should be. The Hurt Locker was a genuinely good movie, but um, all, all I mean to say with this is that um, we look to the Academy and the Oscars as like telling us what the best movies of the year are. And granted, the the best picture of the year uh, is almost always a good movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not like a sports competition. It's not like you can look at, um, like if I look at 2019, I want to know, well, what's the what was the best baseball team of 2019? That's very easy I can to tell. Look and I can see who won the World Series. Yeah. Um, I can look and see, and same with any sports competition. But because uh, art is, movies in particular and art as a whole, is meant to be representative of uh, how we deal with the world. I think putting a, a competition uh, framework on the os on the art form, and same for the Grammys and for the Emmys and for the Tonys, 
Um, sure, it's a great advertising campaign, and if that's the goal, excellent. But if it's meant to be more than that and recognizing actual great art, I think we need to recognize that it will always fall short. Absolutely, because, I mean, like, if you think about it, like, absolutely, art is completely subjective. So you will always have uh, controversy around an event like the Oscars because there's no clean and cut dry to determine who was the best movie unless you determine it by, like, uh, gross value or something like that. And, um, I mean, I think a lot of what people have, a lot of the problems people have with what wins the Oscar every year is the people who choose who wins, uh, the Oscars, because in a lot of people, mi mm -hmm. people's minds, the Academy is a bunch of like old detached from reality, white guys who ha don't really know what's relevant in today's world. Yeah. And you always see uh, hashtag Oscars so white trending, um, <laughs> not for, not for a bad reason. Uh, I think that they're doing their best to, uh, to change that. Um, or maybe not their best. They're doing their best to look like they're they're changing it. Uh -huh. But um, but I mean, Parasite won. There's not a single white person in that movie. Um, yeah. There's and I I think not to say that it's fixed, but they're trying to to get people's perspectives in there. They're at least trying to recognize that there are other countries that are making fantastic movies. Yeah, and different perspectives that are not represented in 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 the film. Totally. Um, but that's yeah, what I, I, I that's what seriously what I think like the the biggest problem people are having with the Oscars. I think if it was a majority vote, um, by like a much bigger, more diverse crowd, instead of like a, a smaller crowd that's like a little bit more uh, like older and and like has a specific preference among the entire uh, populace of the vote. I think people, mm -hmm. even if they wouldn't agree with the choices, would be a little more understanding of the choices if it was a, a more wide open decision yeah and well the the concern about when um if you if you leave it open to everybody is is that uh avengers endgame wins every oscar ever uh, -huh. uh which is don't get me wrong such a good movie but at the same time i i also recognize that it's not the best singular put put together movie of that year i i would probably agree that the best movie of 2019 that i saw was parasite or yeah. parasite was way up there at the that very least damn good movie i wish yeah. we could talk about it more <laughs> yeah did you watch parasite this week i didn't but my i've been trying yeah. to get my sister to watch it with me yeah it's it's a it's a damn good one i i i we are we are highly recommended um, okay, so what were the three movies you watched? Let's actually dive into the, dive into the what we actually did instead of just talking about the Oscars. Yeah, so the first one I, I decided to take a dive into is one that I actually consider to be a little older and actually kind of still culturally relevant. Uh, I believe it was... I'm going to check the year on this one just because I don't want to sound stupid even though it's probably wrong. 1992 was the year it won. The Silence of the Lambs. You Oh, dude. First of all, one of my favorite movies of all time. It was also. great. It was great. I yeah. Can't, yeah, I was looking through the list and I couldn't believe I had never seen it. Yeah, I also think that's one of the only, if not the only, horror movie to ever win uh, Best Picture. That's what made it catch my eyes because I remember, like everyone always says, like there's never a horror movie that wins, like Oscar horror movies don't win Oscars. And then I was like, mm -hmm. what about that one with the Hannibal Lecter? Yeah. And uh, Get Out was the was the only other one that came close, I think. Yes. Uh, at least in recent yes. times. Yes, I would agree with that. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. I, it, that is what happened. Yes. 
That's not an agreement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But can, but tell me about your impressions of uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so it was very... Um, well, obviously, it was super creepy, but uh, I, I knew the basic premise just because, again, it's 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 referenced in pop culture more than I like thought. Like now that I think about it, like the very famous like detective going into a jail cell to talk to the criminal mastermind to get help with another criminal who's out on the out on the town uh, doing the killing and such is uh-huh. a pretty like common trope now and then and it always kind of pokes it like hey we saw this movie and now <laughs> it's 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 now a staple of cop yeah, shows it's because it's so interesting it's it, so cool it is so good and it's weird to go back after all this time and to see the original trendsetter of any trend like that because it feels cliche now but you really have to put yourself into the mindset of this was the first time anything like this did this and the reason that this trope is so popular is because this movie did it and everyone else was like, that's brilliant. Let's do that. Exactly. Exactly. It's it. Okay. So yeah. Um, keep, keep talking, keep talking. What else stood out to you outside of the, uh, the, the the, lunatic on the other side of the cage? Uh huh. Um, well, the whole story was interesting. I liked that it was a female lead, which I think was pretty uncommon even back in the 90s, uh, especially mm-hmm. with like a FBI-type, um, not show, movie, where it was... Um, right. I have the uh, I have the Wikipedia article open so that I can remember the names. Clary Starling, who is the FBI newbie, and I believe mm-hmm. her... I believe she's assigned to talk to uh, Hannibal Lecter because uh, the FBI thinks that she can kind of be like kind of bait to get him to talk a little bit more than he normally would. If I'm correct. Yeah, on that. I forget the I forget the exact reason, but clearly Hannibal Lecter was four steps ahead of the of the uh, FBI. No, yeah. In, in the, the entire movie. Spoiler alert if you're still working through it. Um, but yeah, you know, he gets away, he kills the guards who were watching him. Um, basically he compromises all the way through the movie to give information about the Buffalo Bill case, who is the killer on the loose. And Mm -hmm. eventually it leads to him, uh, being able to get free, move to a different country and just continue to kill people and kind of like taunts the main character as, as he does so. And that's basically where the movie ends, where it's like. All right, this one's done and this one's gone. Yeah, it's yeah. I it, it is, uh, man. It is also just so unsettling watching Buffalo Bill uh, kill just the um the the whole uh what is it the the scene where the girl's in the well and he he's trying to get her to put the stuff in the bucket. <sighs> oh my god. Yep. Nope. So I don't want it, to think about so it. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it anymore. Yeah, but it, it is uh, it is just fantastic. Out of, just out of just out of curiosity, Alex, um, how long did you think, or what was your impression of Anthony Hopkins in, in uh, Science of the Lambs? Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. No, creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, he won Best Actor for that. Good. I, and I, to I... date, he's, he, Hannibal Lecter, just so you know, just this, is, this blew my mind when I found this out. Mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter was only on screen for a total of 16 minutes in that movie. Really? Yeah, that's it. Because it's weird because his presence kind of looms over the whole thing. Yeah, but he's only ever on screen for 16 minutes. (laughs) Oh, that's the sign of a great performance. 
it it really is and i'm glad that he won an award for that um even though like i said kind of kind of i take the awards with a grain of salt but also like the fact that he did that so well and also entered into everyone's consciousnesses uh conscious nine um so much over the uh, um after only 16 minutes of screen that's ridiculous mike we've been talking for 32 minutes twice as much twice as long as all of the screen time (laughs) hannibal lecter's had in that movie and he is way beyond um more impactful on pop culture than we will be Exactly, exactly. But uh, anyway, I was able to finally watch Silence of the Lambs, and I'm happy I did. Good movie. Yeah, me too. Me I too. say it. I, I give it my stamp of yeah. It earned the Oscar. It deserved it. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Um. I guess I'll I'll start with the with the the. I saw three movies. Um. And I mentioned the Hurt Locker, so I guess I might uh talk about that first. Yeah. Hit um, me. Hit me. It won the Oscar in 2009, like I said, um, and I was interested in watching it because, like I said, it beat out both uh, – it beat out Iron Man, it beat out The Dark Knight, it beat out Avatar, it beat out Inglorious Bastards, it beat out Up. 2008-2009 was a great year for movies. Yeah, there were some great um, films. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was – so this is the one that won, so I watched it, and – it's a good movie. It is. I will say this. It is a good movie. It has um, Jeremy Renner. It has. Um, oh shit! What's the guy that plays the Falcon? Um, yeah. Mackie, Anthony Mackie. Yep. Um, the they're the they're the two main leads in it. Um, and the the story is base is about uh, basically a bomb squad that uh, is in Iraq, like soldiers that uh, defuse bombs, and it kind of reads like an anthology mm-hmm. about uh this crew that day in and day out just goes to the different places where there's a bomb placed uh and and defuses them mm-hmm. it's interesting because it doesn't really make a statement about the war in iraq as a whole it more just tells it from the perspective of uh soldiers and okay. um it's very good it 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 does some cool things at the end where it kind of shows why even though the these are horrible circumstances it goes to great lengths to show you the horrors of war and people dying and being blown up and stuff and you know losing your friends in the midst of all of it and stuff um and it does some really cool things at the end to show like why some soldiers still love war and still love going back to war even in spite of all of uh all of the hell that exists there yeah um so it's interesting in that regard but i was kind of i don't know what i was expecting it's a war movie but i was expecting something different it's uh it was it 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 read more like an anthology and it also i looked it up later and it turns out that there were a lot of complaints by servicemen that the uh representation of iraq was not accurate and and uh so uh, there's there's a question as to if that matters if like because like the 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 question of representation is more of like um uh, or accurate representation is more of like uh uh this chain of command was not followed thoroughly uh this breaking command would have gotten him discharged but he doesn't have any consequences to him hmm. uh things like that yeah um, a little bit of uh like uh 
movie magic or movie assumption. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, that matters. Like, chain of command and the order in which things are done is such an important part of how military operations work. But if the movie, I think what the movie was trying to do was trying to say, trying to more of give a perspective of the war from people that are actually living in it and give more of a meditation on like what it means to be a soldier in this guerrilla warfare kind of scenario where you never really know when the battle is going to come and if there are Uh, like errors like that that would make like soldiers be like that's not kind of how it was like does the movie lose some of its merit in that case right right and i i've read i read a couple of interesting articles on it um some say it did because like if you're trying to make a soldier's representation, if you're trying to accurately represent a soldier's perspective, uh, you should do it correctly. Yeah. Um, and some people said it, said it from the other side of like um, the the diffusing of the bombs and and things like that is is more of a way to get these characters into a super stressful situation, mm-hmm. and the chain of command is less important than showing people what it actually feels like to be in war. So it was worried uh, more about being like an entertaining movie than like mm-hmm. totally truthful, you'd say? Well, I I wouldn't say it was entertaining. I wouldn't say that was the goal. Um, a, uh, a compelling in, story, in, maybe. In the, book, in the book, The Things They Carried, I'm referencing a different book, but it, it just represented. Uh-huh. Uh, in the book, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, he has a chapter on where he's, he basically says like, I was in the war. This is the, my memoir from the war. Uh, these stories might not be entirely accurate, but that doesn't matter because this is what it feels like to be in the war. And for a viewer, the factual representation, like the representative, the representation of facts matters less than um, understanding how it feels like. Yeah. I think that was more of the argument. Okay. Um, so it was a good movie. I'll say it was a solid movie. Of the other two movies that I watched, I was actually disappointed in it. I thought hmm. that it was – I could see what it was trying to do, and I think it did what it was trying to do decently well, but it could have been done better. Okay. I'll respect that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. Mm. All right. And also also it's because it beat out so many other near perfect movies that I'm just like this is what you went with. Yeah, this is a this was a great year for movies, so and yeah. that's kind of a I mean it, whether or not it was it was great, it's still like not super relevant today or relevant at yeah. all. Yeah, I, it, yeah, pretty much. It's well, not really talked about anymore. Yeah. Well, let's move from Iraq to Iran with the next movie that I saw this week. Did you see Argo? Yeah. Did you see Argo? I fucking loved Argo. <laughs> it was pretty damn good, right? Yeah, I saw it before I realized it won an ox, but uh, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd never... Well, here's the thing with Argo. It's one of those movies that I had heard about and I heard was really good. And like, I recognized it as a movie and I saw the poster and I was like, that's Argo. It's a movie. But I never knew what it was about. I just knew Mm -hmm. Argo is the movie. And then I did some research and, and, you know, watched it. And uh, then I learned that it was a movie based on a true life event, which is kind of insane considering what happens in the movie. 
It was the Irene Contra deal, or no, it was the hostage situation, right? Yes. So it was, this takes place in 1980 in the movie. And again, real event. Um, uh, In Iran, 66 American uh, Americans get taken hostage and uh, six Americans managed to get away and escape to the uh, Canadian ambassador. And uh, basically the whole like movie is about um, these people going in to uh, get them out and they kind of disguise themselves as a crew working on this movie called Argo, which is like a like a sci-fi fantasy film to cover for these people and say that they're the crew working on the film to get them back, which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is and it's this is actually how um i think i think reagan was president at the time and this is actually how the, the situation was dealt with it's <laughs> it's absurd to me that someone had this idea because this sounds like an idea out of like like a sitcom if the stakes were way lower <laughs> you know right, what i michelle, mean <laughs> i'm just picturing the episode of full house all right michelle we gotta go to iran and fix a hostage situation <laughs> Let's pretend we're making a movie and use How them. rude. <laughs> Honestly, because like I, it's amazing to me that a group of people decided to try this and it worked. Yeah. I mean, it, by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, it was very, very close as you would have uh, seen. I Like the plane took off and like they were like if it hadn't like they would have been in trouble right there and there. Yeah, um, people were like shooting at the plane if my memory serves me right, right? Yes. No, they barely yeah. got away. <laughs> Which is just like again, like it's just insane to me. I got to watch this again because for the first uh, like half an hour I really wasn't like paying super attention to it cuz I was mm-hmm. doing something else. And I'm kind of ashamed of that fact. But it's just such it's a It's fine. It's a fascinating it's a movie. movie. It's a fascinating movie with a fascinating premise based on a real life event that deserved to be made into a movie. Like a lot of movies that come from real stories are not actually that interesting. But this is such a bizarre event in history. I'm so happy it was archived in a film like this and I'm so happy that film got recognized because it was awesome. That is that really is. It really freaking it. Oh man. I, I love it. I love the movie so much. Yeah, it was um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so since you are you done with with Argo? Can yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah, you go for it. Okay. Um, from one real life event to another real life event, I watched um the movie A Beautiful Mind, which Ooh. won in two thousand and one. I was almost gonna watch this, but then decided on something different. All right. Well, first of all, fun little trivia fact. This is the second movie in a row that um, won Best Picture that had Russell Crowe starring in in the movie. Uh, Russell Crowe starred in uh, Best Picture winner Gladiator in 2000. I love Gladiator. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a damn good action movie. Was blown away when i found out that it was the the, the winner of the best picture movie. <laughs> uh, yeah i hear you it I, doesn't really strike you as 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 it but yeah one not in the least it was like a it was if it, yeah i don't know i don't know i i it was a it was a good one but god i would never have picked that to be the best picture um but anyway a beautiful mind um oh also spoilers for all of these movies because obviously wow thanks just, mike 
We're we're two thirds yeah. of the way through the through the podcast. Thanks for the spoiler oh, warning. Look, there's this all these movies won Best Picture. If you're gonna watch it, you don't need to listen to us to recommend the movie to you. Um, but regardless, A Beautiful Mind is a, is a true story about a uh, mathematician named John Nash. Uh, and his name is John Nash. He actually won the Nobel Prize uh, in 1990s, I think. I forget the year. But he won the Nobel Prize, and that was kind of the end of this movie. Um, but the the story goes about John Nash, and he uh, movie opens in his college career, and uh, him struggling to write a doctoral thesis, and he makes a friend that is an English major and is his roommate and shows him the world of, uh, you know, you know, like doing your work, but also enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it is, and he is, it's now in the middle of the cold war, like in the fifties and he's brought in by the Pentagon to do some code cracking. And he meets a guy named Pratcher who um, gives him this, basically this assignment of your job is to go into periodicals and find codes that the Russians are using to communicate with their sleeper agents in the United States. So it kind of turns into a spy movie where he's like trying to be a good professor of the, of uh, Princeton and also is trying to save America from a communist threat at the same time. Interesting. And it's called a beautiful mind. Yes, because halfway through the movie, he, it, he has a breakdown and it turns out that he's been schizophrenic the entire movie and the roommate is not real and neither is the uh, spy threat. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. And it's kind it was mind blowing in the moment because it was just and that like happens halfway through the movie. Like the um, this the twist that made The Sixth Sense such a good movie is happens midway through this one and it's it, it is incredible um and uh but in the rest of the movie the, re- the second half of the movie is about john nash and his wife who uh was not a delusion obviously but it was about the two of them just basically working through schizophrenia and, and trying to get him to overcome it wow. and it, it's it's a beautiful pick. It really is a beautiful movie because at, at different times he has, he freaks out and he sees the people that have haunted him that aren't real. And mm-hmm. he's like screaming in the middle of the, to the, to the outside world. He's just screaming in the middle of the quad of Princeton. But to him, he's like arguing with who a man who he thinks is going to kill his wife if he does not comply. And it's, it really is a beautiful uh, movie. It makes me, it made me look at, um, people with schizophrenia in a very different light. Um, obviously I don't have, or not obviously, but I don't have schizophrenia. So I don't know how accurate it is, but given that this was a true life story and John Nash was alive at the time this movie was made, mm-hmm. um, it makes me think that this was very accurate experience, which is uh, good also because it was based on a, a book that was written about him. Again, I assume with this consultation. Hmm. Um, well, I love any type of movie that allows uh, the populace to experience a different and uh, uh, less uh, worldwide perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it really is. It's tragic. It's watching this guy struggle with everything that is going on, which 
he really obviously he no one deserves it, but he really didn't deserve because he was trying to do his best for the world and it just yeah, mm. mind falls apart. Um but yeah, like I said, eventually he overcomes it. He doesn't he, he makes a point like he still sees the people, but he's able to distinguish who's real and who's not. Interesting. Um, and is able to deal with it in such a way that he wins the Nobel Prize. So, you know, it, it, it and like I said, it's a true story. So it, it's very, very powerful. That's amazing. Um, now I want to watch it. Yeah, please do. And um, unlike The Sixth Sense, have you seen The Sixth Sense? Yeah, I love The Sixth Sense. Yeah. This movie makes The Sixth Sense look like a gimmick because when when you watch The Sixth Sense the first time through, after after the twist is ruined, it's kind of hard to rewatch no, and, sh- and get the same impression. I completely disagree. The Sixth Sense is great to rewatch because you get to understand it from a new perspective. Yeah, it is. But also, like, at the end of the day, that movie is only the twist. The twist is what makes the movie as good as it is. Um, and this movie, sure, it has the twist. It has the mind-bending twist, but it... That, that's not the end of it. That's only a catalyst for what followed. So yeah, okay. that, that's my opinion. All right, I will. Uh, I will concede because we are short for time. But uh, let's. Oh, are uh, we? Oh, shoot. Let's uh, let's keep going then. Let's. Uh, yeah. Let's see what what's the third one you watched. Yeah, my, the third one I watched, and uh, please don't uh, scream when you hear that. This is probably the my favorite of the ones I've watched. Uh, the Shape of Water. Oh my god. Look, man, I'm a sucker for a good love story. Alex, I granted, okay. I will admit, I did not see The Shape of Water. Um but The Shape of Water over Argo? Argo was cool, but I mean, just the metaphorical power of this movie was too much for me to handle. Uh you explain yourself. So, fine. So it's 1962, and uh-huh. it stars a mute, isolated woman named Elissa. Elissa, I believe her name was. Um, she got scarred on her neck uh, as a young person, and since then has been mute her entire life. Um, mm-hmm. She works in this government laboratory, and her life changes when uh, the the big uh, the big boss on on campus brings in a a fish man, as I'm sure you're aware, that part, yeah. um, to kind of figure out, uh, to study it and hopefully uh, use what they figure out to help the U.S. go to space before the Soviet Union. It makes more sense when you're watching it. Okay. <laughs> so is this guy like a like a Superman kind of thing? Like they're planning on using him as a weapon against the Russians? It's, it's not about a weapon. It's about understanding... Um, the bio biology behind what makes him tick and using what they learn about the biology to help them, um, with their space project. Okay. And well, what eventually happens is, um, this mute woman starts falling in love with, uh, this, uh, this fish creature. And it's, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's a metaphor, but it's all about, Someone like her, because obviously in the 60s, disabled, um, blacking, uh, homosexual people are very much not seen or given any time of day by anyone who is Mm -hmm. uh, considered upper class. So it's about this woman finally for the first time in her life being seen by someone who also 
doesn't talk or communicate in a conventional way. And the whole movie is about them advancing their relationship um, until she decides to help the monsters sneak out. And by the end of it, um, he uh, basically takes her underwater with him, gives her the scars on her neck turned into gills. So it's a lot. It's a big thing about the thing that inhibited her enables her to find this new life with this new person and um, Mm -hmm. communicate with him and live with him underwater. And it's just about it's it's just about love and the human connection and how it's not com- like it's not exclusive to people who are just human and it's a weirdly beautiful message. All right, but I think right. a lot of people get thrown off by the fish porn, which there is fish porn. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> the the only thing I've ever heard is the one where the woman fucks the fish. Yes, there is a scene like that, and I did watch it. Um, and it's, it's, it's certainly interesting, but it's just like, I, I love, I love stories like this where, you know, it makes total sense within the movie. And I love movies that set the protagonist to be like where their inhibitor becomes the thing that makes it so that they are the only ones who could have enacted in this role. And this movie does it so well. And it's just so pretty and it's surreal and it's weird and it's the type of movie that I love. All right. So well, look, that is, I will say this, that is the best pitch for the shape of water that I've ever heard of or yeah. that I've ever heard. Um, the only thing is that my understanding of the movie or the, my understanding of what it was accepted about the movie was that um, it was a way of awarding Guillermo del Toro for uh, his, for Pan's Labyrinth, which is accepted to be, or people talk about, like Pan's Labyrinth is Guillermo del Toro's best work, but it was it was gypped when it was created. It wasn't considered for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, and I, I, I say again. I I remember when this won, and a lot of people were surprised because I know there were a bunch of good things coming uh, coming up that year, and I do. What was what movie, What year was it? Uh, this was 2017. I think it won in 2018. Oh, okay. um, I just remember there being a lot of good movies that year. Um, and I do mm-hmm. see, I do understand that this is kind of a, a like a sympathy Oscar for Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like this movie is definitely not a mainstream movie, but I just mm-hmm. happen to very much connect with it. Yeah. It's also, I wouldn't say it's like a... Um, a sympathy one it's it's more of a recognition for a body of work like uh when leo won best actor for the revenant it wasn't just wasn't, for that the was revenant. not his best performance he was also it was also not the best performance that he's ever done it was more of just like leo dicaprio is always fantastic in everything we Let's, should give him an oscar yeah that's that's exactly that's that's that is what i think was here but i never yeah. would watch this movie if, if it didn't win so i'm glad it yeah, did yeah so there's that um all right, so are you done with uh, your, with uh, uh, advertising for fish fucking? Yeah, uh, give it a shot. You know, it's 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 less mainstream than what you'll find on Pornhub, but you know what? It's not half bad. Uh, all right, it's a bad way to end the pitch. And it was not, a joke. It was a joke. It was a trying joke. Trying to not be shame. Trying, uh, but anyway, um, uh, the last movie um, was that the last movie you watched, by the way. Yeah, it's a busy okay. week. Yeah, it, it is. I only, I also only watched three. The last one that I watched was uh, The Departed. 
which oh. uh, have you ever heard of The Departed? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Okay. Um, I was shocked when I was scrolling through uh, the best pictures and I saw that uh, The Departed was on it. Um, because The Departed is one of the greatest cop movies of all time. Well, tell me and about it. I knew it. Bef- I knew that before, but without having seen it. And then I saw it, and I still hold that that thing. Um, the Departed is a movie that uh, occurs in Boston, um, and it's it's basically about the Irish mob and mm-hmm. a character who is played by Jack Nicholson. Oh, shoot, what's his the character's name? It starts with a C. Um, I forget what the character's name is, but it is very clearly based off of Whitey Bulger. Um, so I'm going to call him Whitey Bulger, even though that's not the character. Um, <laughs> but Whitey Bulger, who, if you if you don't know, Whitey Bulger is is one of the most notorious gangsters in American history, and he ran the uh, the, the Irish mob in Boston for many years and was a ruthless criminal. Uh, mm. So this character is essentially that, and it's the movie is about uh, Whitey Bulger finding a cop from a young age who he puts into the police force and uses as basically a, a, an in an inside guy in the high rankings of the Boston police force. Um, that guy is played by Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. And it's also about that rat. So a, um, a rat in the Boston police force leaking things to the Irish mob. Simultaneously, the U.S. or the Boston police force has a um, has a rat played by Leo DiCaprio, <laughs> an undercover cop in the uh, in Whitey's mob. That um, he yeah he it's, so it's basically about Leo DiCaprio trying to spy on uh, trying to spy on Whitey Bulger while while giving stuff to the police and Matt Damon doing the, doing the exact opposite. Hmm. Okay. A very smart, uh, very smart, very fun, high tension drama about these two guys. It is. Oh my god! It's so good. Um, also, Mark Wahlberg is in it because, of course, he is. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, he's a. You know, it's a cop. It's Boston. Mark Wahlberg's got to be in it. The the owner of Wahlbergers is just like the voice of Boston. So you got to give that to him. Mm-hmm. Um. And also Martin Sheen is in it, who uh, altogether, like, five of my favorite actors are in this movie right off the top of everything. Um, so, yeah, it is just, it is, uh, it's, I can't even, like, as from what I'm describing to you, Alex, I'm sure that you can tell that it is a very tricky plot dealing with both uh, the inside guys in both the police forces, in the police force and the gang, and, like, figuring out the different things and uh, Leo's tipping off the the um, the the Boston guys, and Matt's tipping off the 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 gang, and it's 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 a lot of moving parts, a lot of chess pieces, mm-hmm. a lot of violence, a lot of fucking <laughs> blood and and gunfire and and gunfights and uh, spoiler, Martin Sheen gets thrown off a roof, and you you see the splat. It's it's incredible, but it is a a very gory movie. It's rough to watch, but that's what makes it good. I hear you. Oh my god, so good. So freaking good. And all like the ending of the movie, it this is a Scorsese film. And the ending of the movie is just uh I I'm not gonna spoil it for you because I don't know if you ever will watch it. I do not know if this is up your alley, but you should because it's just an exciting, fun uh movie. 
and it is uh, the end of the movie is what makes it so satisfying. Well, the, the fact that you didn't want to spoil it, which is so rare for you, um, makes me want to watch it. Did I did I burn yeah. you so hard that you stopped talking? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Okay, I thought you just got yeah. disconnected from the call. <laughs> no, I probably did because I was making noises, but it was mostly me going. Yeah, well, I, uh, y- yeah. So I'm going. Uh, we didn't much miss much. All right. <laughs> oh. All right. So yeah, those are the those are the movies we watched. I stand by my analysis of the beginning. Yeah, so do I. We had a good and I think respectful discussion about what makes the Oscars good and bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm exactly. I'm glad we could have had the we had this discussion, and I'm happy that I th- I feel like a bigger person for having talked with you. Um, that's great, Alex. I uh, I uh, I I am glad we had the productive discussion. All right, let's just pick the bucket. Time to pick from the bucket. Time to pick from the bucket now. I picked from the virtual All right. bucket. All right, what did we get? And it is docu-series, again, unnamed until next week. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll come up with a cleverer name. But the, um, the kick But for- yeah, docu-series. Our challenge is to watch... A docu-series, a documentary series, all the way through. Yeah, a lot of these uh, undertakings uh, for a while are going to be us uh, absorbing media and then discussing the media. Listen, there's not a lot to do right now. A lot of places to go or people to interact with. (laughs) So you know what? We're we're making this as best we can. We're doing our best. Yeah, and I'm having enough fun. Yeah, me too. All right. Um, but yeah, so uh, as I'm sure everyone listening to this, uh, when it comes out, uh, can imagine, this was inspired by the popularity of the docuseries Tiger King, which recently came out. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, I did. Um, it is wild from start to finish. Uh, it is crazy to think these people exist, and it is entertaining as hell. However... Um, the more I researched into this, into the into the story of Tiger King outside of what is represented in the docu series, made me realize that um, it, it's not a great docu series because it doesn't actually represent both sides. It doesn't represent all the facts, and a lot of misinformation is spreading around because of the uh, the way this docu series was created. Interesting. Well, I will watch it at yeah. some point, probably, but uh, I think I'm going to go into a different territory this week. Yeah, yeah, and I'll talk. I'll talk more about um, my objections to Tiger King uh, next week. So come in to come in to see that. Yeah, sorry um, in advance. But yeah, I wanted to see. I kind of wanted to see a good docu series, one that is actually respected, and uh, I want to see what can actually be done when the documentary is serialized. Cool. Because we, we did a documentary challenge. I was right? just about to mention. Yes, we did, but it was about documentaries specifically, and not series of documentaries. Right. And this one's I just one, so it's going to be a more concise uh, discussion about two series instead of like a bunch of different documentaries. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to see what it. Like I said, I want to see what a good whole. Holistic, actually well put together docuseries can do. So yeah, and there are a ton of them out there. Totally. Yeah, I forgot to talk for a minute, but that's what we're gonna be doing. 
Yeah, it sure is. So tune in next week if that sounds interesting. Uh, obviously it does because you will come back because if you don't, I will come out of this microphone microphone speaker and and slap you. That threat really fell apart there, and I'm sorry for it. Yeah, I was going to say, it was already kind of a weak threat, and then your, your stuttering just made it fall apart even more. Great. All right. Um, but but yeah, come back next week. Um, And uh, should I sign out? Do we have anything else? I'm done. I'm tired. Right. Do it. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening to The Weekly Undertaking. As Alex said at the top, this is the 90th episode of The Weekly Undertaking. Ten to go before 100. I don't know what we're going to yeah. do. We may still be uh, separated, so we probably wouldn't do much in that case, but hopefully... We're probably still going to be separated, but that's okay. Um, our uh, So yeah, that's that's uh, we have 89 other episodes of The Weekly Undertaking for your listening pleasure. Um, I highly recommend that you check those out because we've covered quite a few uh, topics, and I'm sure we're going to find one... Uh, you're going to find one about something you care about. Um, yes. All right. Subscribe to us on whatever podcasting forum you found us on. You found us once. Don't forget to uh, subscribe so you don't forget to find us again. Good that one. was smoother in weeks past. Yeah, good job. Um, but regardless, uh, f- follow us. Leave us a rate and review. Uh, tell us how much you hate us. Tell us how much you love us. We don't really care. Uh, <laughs> we just like to hear from all of you. We have a form in the description. Uh in case you think of a challenge for us to complete, give us something weird and random, and we will do it to the best of our abilities. Um, we also have two artists that help us out to do this podcast. We have Adam Rudy, who does all the music that you listen to on this podcast, and Winston De Jesus, who does all the podcast cover art. Please show them some love by following them and, and their social medias in the description below. Do it. Uh, and thank you to Phil Lewis for letting us love you. Uh, And that is all that we have for this week. Uh, So until next week, don't forget to stay inside, stay safe, wash your hands. And also don't forget to challenge yourself. And who the hell is Oscar? (laughs) I have no idea. I assume the name of the little guy that they have on the on the stand. Yeah, he's a grouch. Try something new. Oh, is that what it is? I don't know. Maybe that's what. And he's gone. Bye.